Now, I, I don't know how I, I came across this. I, I, I want to think it was an article I was reading about super fans and you know how that happens. You sort of follow a link to somewhere. And where that led me to was the, the Twitter feed of a Doja Cat uh, super fan. So it's funny where you end up in the internet. Um, those of you who don't know who Doja Cat is, uh, she's a sort of popular, famous uh, music artist, a very successful music artist. And um, this feed, this Twitter feed was of a super fan, basically someone who's obsessed with Doja Cat. I've never really seen anything quite like this. I've heard the term, but really every single post was about Doja Cat, about how great she was, how wonderful she is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It was just sort of like mesmerizing. I just couldn't believe someone would spend this amount of time on one person. Um, there's one video clip that especially stood out to me. It's, it was a clip of her shouting at Doja Cat as she's like walking into some award show. And Doja Cat sort of turns around for like a second smiles, waves in, the, in her direction, and keeps going. And this person was ecstatic. <laughs> like, just couldn't believe it. Uh, like, our whole life really revolved around getting Doja Cat's attention. <laughs> like, our life was going to be okay. It mattered because Doja Cat, for a second, turned and, and looked in her direction and the 50 other people who were also doing the same thing <laughs> at that point, waving, trying to get the attention of, of this person. Um, I mean, it, it makes sense in that sense of, if you're a super fan of someone, that like, your life really is about getting the attention of that person. Your sense of being okay, your sense of your life mattering, it's connected to saying, I need this person to notice me and, and to have some connection to me. Um, you know, it's not just super fans that have done this. Uh, we, can, we can do this. Uh, the ancient world did this. This is a way of sort of understanding the ways in which the ancient world worked and why so many people, ancient peoples, were always trying to get the attention of the gods. Right? You're familiar with like the Greek gods, the Roman gods, the, you know, all those different gods. We're, we're maybe familiar with the ancient world. It's filled with gods. And we understand, so what were they trying to do? They're trying to get the gods' attention. Why? Because their life is only going to be okay. It's going to be a matter if the gods pay attention to them. They turn and notice them. Life is going to be okay in the sense of they're going to be able to get pregnant. The harvest is going to go well. They're going to be able to have victory over their enemies. So they set up temples where the gods live. And if you're understanding a temple, if you want to figure out what a temple is, it's just a place where you know you can go. You're going to do different magic rituals. You can do different procedures and sacrifices, flatter the gods with food and drink. So they pay attention to you and give you what you want. Give you the success that you want give you the sense of satisfaction and comfort that you want. This is the way that ancient people lived, and it makes sense to live that way, in the sense that life is unpredictable and it's out of control. You get that. None of us can guarantee 100% of the time that we'll be successful at work, at home, that we'll stay healthy, that we'll win, and so you're always looking for ways to make your life feel more predictable, more under control, and all the better if it's tied to a person who gives me that sense of feeling of control and success. As I said, we do the same thing today. Uh, we don't build temples in the same way, but maybe your temple is your job. Maybe your temple is your social media profile. Maybe your temple is your social group. Whatever it is, places you're going to go to, groups you're going to be part of, where you want to succeed. And, and it, to succeed requires getting enough attention, enough notice to get the money that you need, the status that you need, the popularity that you need, so your life goes the way that you feel it needs to go. I mean, man, life going this way isn't great, is it? <laughs> It's not great to live life like this because it never ends, if you think about it. There's always sort of the next thing. There's always the next rung to, 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 to go up, the next status to get. It never stops. And the biggest thing is it goes away in a moment. It's not like 
okay, I finally have enough followers. <laughs> right? There's always more that you need to have. Right? I always I have enough money. Well, for now, but then I, I need more. It, it never stops. You're always needing to get the attention of whatever space that you're in to get what you need so that you can be okay, so that you can matter. What I want you to notice in the opening pages of the Bible is how different it is from what I just described in terms of what we need. The opening pages of the Bible are not about us trying to get God's attention, but us trying to sort of manipulate and flatter God so that we can make sure life on earth goes the way that we want it to. We don't have to get God's attention because God is already there, already present. And that from the beginning, God's setup is more oriented towards us. The first temple is essentially the Garden of Eden. But notice, that temple, the Garden of Eden, it's not set up for, for God, really. It's set up for us. The first temple is about God establishing a place where he can be with us. The first place God lives is a home, and that's a home with you and me, with humanity, with us. Eden shows that what God is about is not about us feeling like we got to get his attention. It's like, no, I'm already paying attention to you. I want you to stay here with me. I want you to live with me. I want you to have a home with me. That's the idea I want to explore this morning, this sense of believing that there's a God who wants to live with you who wants to have a home with you. And all of what that means, of understanding what it is to have a God who's that, that kind of God, to have a home with us. So we're in Genesis chapter 2. Feel free to turn there if you want to. I'm just going to read a couple of verses here. Genesis chapter 2, it's like the second page in the blue hardcover Bible, if you want to use the, one of the hardcover Bibles underneath the seat in front of you or on an app. So Genesis chapter 2, let me start reading in verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon, and the one that flowed around the whole land of Havalah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and Oxstone are there. The name of the second river is Gahon, and it's the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now there's not a lot of verses here. But the point I want to make this morning is the impression it's meant to give us is that God is establishing a home with us, a place for us to live. And let me just say, I mean a home in the best sense of the word. I recognize that some of us here have not grown up in good homes. Maybe you're not even a good home right now. Uh, but we know what a good home is, <laughs> especially if you've not grown up in one, you've not experienced that. We have this sense of, when you, I use that word home, you have that sense of it should be a safe place, a good place. That's what I'm talking about here. But God is setting up a home in all the best senses of that word, all the healthiest senses of that word. So this good home that God is establishing, the center point of it being the Garden of Eden, what are some of the things that feature in this home to help us understand just what life, human life is meant to be like in connection to living with God? Well, five things I'm going to mention, five key features of the home God wants to have us experience with him. First one is it's personal. That it's personal. Adam and Eve know and relate to God personally. That God is a God who says, hey, you can know me on a first name basis. 
You notice one of the things that's described here in these verses, it describes, it doesn't just say God did this or God says this, it says the Lord God, the Lord God. And, and if you read the Bible a lot, you're sort of used to reading that a lot and seeing that. But I want you to understand that name, the Lord, and in your English Bibles, it's capitalized, right? It's L-O-R-D, all capitalized. That's an English translation. That's the English Bible's word, way, putting it all in caps like that, of translating the Hebrew personal name for God, which is Yahweh. God, at one point, so Moses is talking to God and says, what should I call you? And God actually says, here's my name. It's Yahweh, which means literally I am. I exist. I am. That's God's personal name. And it's interesting to notice here that as God is establishing this relationship with the, with the first human beings, I want to say the Bible makes a point of describing him as the Lord God. That God is established. That's what a home is. Like, you have personal relationship with people. You don't know people from a distance. Right? You know them personally, face to face, in the same places and spaces. When you think of God, don't think of God as being far away from you, and you've got to figure out some way for him to get to notice you. Think of God as saying, I know you on a first name basis. I want you to know me on a first name basis. You can call me by my first name. The Lord, the Lord God. And this whole passage is him speaking directly to Adam. He's present right there with Adam. A little bit later on in chapter 3, verse 8, it just says God, it describes God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. There's a lot of sort of like, what does that really mean? I, I think it just says you should say, we should understand that God had some way of, of showing himself in a way that was tangible and real. It wasn't like an unusual thing for God to be sort of out and about in the garden. And this is where human beings are. Out of all the places God could be, I think of the whole wide universe. There's some cool things out in some galaxies out there, right? I haven't seen it, but I hear about it, right? There's some amazing things happening all over the galaxy, over the universe. And God says, here's where I want to spend the majority of my time, in this small space with these human beings. I want to spend my time in this planet with humanity. He wants to know us personally and be with us in person. The significance of personal relationships, of being in person with people. So we have a lot of ways of relating to other people through online media, and those things are, are are helpful, but I want to think, when I'm going to say, and I think we've learned this, sort of connecting to people online is best when it's enhancing, enhancing and, and improving personal relationships, right? The things you have in person with people. You know, quick tip for you guys, and a number of you met guys have, have slid into some girl's DMs, right, to try to get to know her. Uh, good job on that, but of course, if you're only direct messaging the girls you're interested in and you never meet them in person, it's, it's not going to work out, right? I don't know if you know this, but it's not going to work out. At some point, if you're going to DM someone, at some point you've got to meet them in person. You've got to be with them in person. Of course, you're going to continue messaging and all those different things, but it enhances what is meant to be personal relationship. It's about personal relationship, isn't it? And there's a huge difference to know that we have a God who's with us in person. Now, when we think of God being present everywhere, that means like he's right there. Even God who sits right next to you as you're waiting in that doctor's office wondering what's going to happen. You have a God who's right there next to you as you're trying to figure out like what's, what, what career should I go for. You have a God who's right there next to you as you're trying to figure out this parenting thing or this marriage thing. You have a God who's right there with you as you're trying to figure out God. He's right there with you. He establishes a home with us. He says, hey. I want us to figure things out together, life together. He's a personal God. The second thing that speaks to where God lives as a home is that it's, there's comfort and satisfaction with life with God. 
comfort and satisfaction. Verse 9 says, the garden had every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. One of the things that it's saying there is that this garden is well watered, right? Water flows from it, from, from the center of the garden out to all the parts of Eden, and it's manifested in basically every type of food that's necessary to be there. So I mean by comfortable, all the basic needs are being met. And more than just met, I say comfortable, but also satisfaction. It's, it's not just like the most basic minimum thing. It's full abundance, right? It says there every type of tree is there. Um, there's abundance. Everything looks good. It tastes good. There's water. There's precious stones. So there's pretty things to look at and enjoy. Uh, there's an invitation to eat from every tree, to eat as much as they need, as much as they want, and that it's good. So there's comfort and there's satisfaction. That's what home should be. And in all this, I think you get the sense here. I mean, remember, we're talking about the first human beings. I'm trying to give you this sense of, like, imagine, like, human life was always like this. Human life is always like this because God is like this, and God is establishing life with us. And say, this is, this is how God rolls. God is always going to bring comfort and satisfaction. He's inviting us to experience that with him in his presence. To be cared for and provided for. To live free from worry and fear and sickness and death. God is literally creating a place where that's always the case, and as long as we're with him, live with him, we always experience that. So there's comfort and satisfaction where God lives, because we live with him in this home. Third thing to mention here is safety. And I'm going to be quick on this point, but I just want to sort of notice how there's, never, there's no sense of danger here, right? No sense of threat. Now, later on, chapter 3, those of you familiar with the Genesis story, there's a serpent who comes and, and tempts Adam and Eve. But understand, that serpent can't really hurt them, can't kill them. Provide, I mean, they have to make the choice, right, to do the things that serpent is saying. So there's temptation there. But on the whole, what we have is a sense of permanence. Like Eden is going to be there as long as they're there with God. And it's going to be a safe place. I mean, that's how they can be naked and unashamed, right, and, and not have any threat. It's a place of safety and security. The recent events in our world, like in the Middle East, have shown us just how unsafe and dangerous our world is, how quickly it can fall apart. And I think we're sort of, where it's becoming, I almost, we almost can become numb to it, just how much danger and threat there is to the world. I want you to notice, the Bible tells a story of a world and a humanity, the origin story of our world, the origin story of our humanity, where it was not like that. Where the normal state for humanity is safety and security. Why is there safety and security? Again, because we are living with God. We have a home with God. God is not distant from us. He's with us and we're with him. And because of that, that's why normal human life is safe and secure. Number four, purpose and belonging. And I, I draw this point out from verse 15 of Genesis 2, where it says, God set Adam in the garden to work and to keep the garden. The interesting thing about those words, work and keep, those words, those Hebrew words have this sense of service or sacred service to God. Those same words are used later on when we're, we'll get to this in the next coming weeks. We look at the temple, and the words to describe what the priests were doing in the temple is the same type of words, to work and keep the temple. And that's easy to think of, right? That's, they're serving God, right? That's essentially what it's saying here. To work and keep is a sense of serving God. So the priests serve God. And we normally might think of serving God being what the priests do or the pastors do or, or religious people do. But the Bible is saying the original setup of this world was that all work was service to God. All work was sacred. 
Another way of putting this is all work had purpose and meaning. It was always special. Why? Because God set it up to be that way. The God, we're living in the presence of God, and so everything that you're doing was before God. Not just the priest serving before God, as everyone is serving before God. That's the way it's meant to be. That's God's intent for Adam and for every single human being. I mean, notice God is setting Adam in a place where he's going to experience this. And, and that means what Adam is going to experience is work that fits him, right? Work that matters because it's coming from God and it's directed by God. It serves God, and that's why you know, hey, this matters. Like, this, this has purpose. You have purpose and meaning in the things that you're doing. But that's why I also added the other word, belonging, because we can talk about purpose and meaning, and sometimes I think we, yeah, I want to have purpose and meaning. But I wonder if the umbrella term for this is a sense of belonging. That when you're doing work that matters and you know it, it's sacred, it's special, that God blesses it, it means that you belong. You have a place where you fit. I think what makes Eden, remember we talked about Eden being a home. And I think the sense of, of it being a home is because home is the place where you always belong, isn't it? That no matter what happens during the week, what happens at your school, your workplace, the best homes are a place where you come and you always have a role, right? And you have belonging, right? You have, you have purpose and you have meaning because you belong. You have a place where you fit. And I think the point here is to say, like, now we experience disconnection in these things. Like, we don't belong in all the, we always feel like we belong in the spaces that we're in. But imagine you always belonged. That work and home is not separate. It's all together. And it's all special. And it's all sacred. Because it's blessed by God. God sets you. Imagine knowing whatever you do, it matters. Whatever you do, like, it, it's special. And because of that, you feel like you belong. You have a place. You have a spot. Like, you're not the last one picked, right, on the school, play, uh, school playground. Uh, you're not the one who's, you know, they have, there's a whole group thread of, of, of people messaging each other, and you're the one who's left out of that thread or kicked out of the thread. That you are not the one who never gets promoted, who sort of is just given sort of busy work to do because no one knows what to do with you. No, imagine knowing you always have a place in your life. Knowing, think of the schools that you're in, the classrooms that you're in, the families that you're in, the, the, the work you're in, whatever it is, it always feels good. It always feels like home, the best home, that you belong. How is that possible? Because God set it up that way. When we're living in God's presence with God, it means we have purpose. It means that we belong. Last thing here is trust. Is trust. Adam and Eve were free to do anything in the garden, enjoy every part of the garden, but notice there's one sort of restriction, isn't there? Um, they're going to be fully at home, but they're going to be fully at home to the degree in which they trust God. And they trust God specifically by obeying the restriction he gave, which was don't eat from the tree of the knowledge and good and evil. It's the one thing. And that restriction that I want to say is not random. Right? It's a restriction that comes directly from God. And I think the way to understand this restriction is tied into the word I'm using here, that what made this a home is that there's a place of trust. Trust comes by saying, hey, we're not going to figure out what's good and right in this place apart from God. God is saying, I want you to trust me. God says, right now you can't eat from this tree. I don't want to point this out. At this point, they're not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's nothing to indicate that eventually they might not have been able to. They might, eventually they would have been able to. 
But when they do, how they do is going to be tied to listening to God and trusting God. Trusting God leads to all the things that we just talked about. In many ways, trust ties everything else that we talked about before. They need to trust God for this to be the home that we're, that we're talking about and all the ways that we talked about. And trust is another way of saying, is a way of just saying, like, life requires us to be dependent on one another. Right? Like, in some ways, God's got to depend on them to trust him, to listen to him. And then you got to depend on God to say, we trust you that, hey, we're going to enjoy all this, but this part, the knowledge of good and evil, we're not going to take of it yet. We're going to follow your lead. We're going to listen to it. And that brings home, doesn't it? That sense of home, that sense of all that, all the good things that home at its best brings. If you guys know this, I think I can mention this. Uh, Cindy and Gary have, what, like 20, 30 people over your house on Sundays, right? Something crazy like that. Um, do you know why those people go there? It's not because they can do whatever they want over there. <laughs> there's, no, there's no rave parties happening there. And if anyone who knows Cindy especially knows that, like, there's some way Cindy wants things done, right? She's got certain rules, right? Certain ways of operating, right? That, that, that's the way it works, right? But those rules are the key to what you will experience. And from what everything I've, I've heard and, and people have told me, well, when they go over there after Sundays, uh, they go after Sunday service, 20, 30 people over there, those rules are key to it being a home for ever, whoever steps in there. There's food, there's fun, there's laughter, there's relationship. There's all these different things that are happening there. Why does it happen there? Because there's a sense of, I'm going to trust that this is the home of Gary and Cindy. I'm going to follow their lead and how I operate and live in this space. And the result of that, the result of that trust is the feeling of, hey, all the things that we just talked about, personal relationships, safety, abundance. They have good food over there, right? I don't know. There might be like now 100 people. Sorry. <laughs> Headed over there. <laughs> Hit her up for the address. Uh, there is uh, this sense of belonging. There's all these different things. It's tied to trust, isn't it? As I said, I think this is the most important thing to say about what human life is meant to be. Human life ultimately is about trusting God. That yes, God wants to live with you and bring all the things I've been talking about home and the best parts of home. Like I said, a good, healthy home has personal, committed relationships. It has safety. It has abundance. It has purpose and belonging. Uh, it has satisfaction. And there's all these different things. But it works on trust. To be in a home requires trust in all sorts of different directions. In this case, to have a home, to have life feel like you're at home requires that you trust God. It requires depending on God, right? And God depends on us to trust him, and then we depend on God and obey God in the things that he guides us in and directs us in. As he says, hey, not this yet, but this now. Eventually this, never this. <laughs> As he deals those things... Some of those things we understand, some of the things we don't understand. Some parts of life make sense to us, some parts of life frustrate us and are confusing. We don't understand why it has to be this way. But those rules aren't to restrict us. They're not really even rules. They're invitation to relationship with God, to depend on God and be connected to God. Such that we experience home in all areas of our life. In everything that you do, you have a sense I'm at home. Because in everything you do, you're always connected to God. Not just connected to God here, but every day of the week in every relationship that you're in, in every part of what you're doing, you're connected to God. You're at home with God. The tragedy, of course, of human life today is that we don't feel like we're at home with God. And why don't we feel that? Why don't you feel like you're living at home no matter what you're doing or whether you're saying? Well, it's because we stop trusting God, isn't it? 
That's a way of understanding what happened in the garden. A lot of ways of describing what happened with Adam and Eve, but essentially what happened is the serpent said, hey, you can't trust God. He doesn't know what he's doing. And Adam and Eve said, I think you're right. We're going to trust ourselves. We're going to figure it out ourselves. That's what happened with Adam and Eve, and that's what we still do today, isn't it? That's fundamentally what we still do today. Um, we um, ultimately, just think about it, just sort of living a life without reference to God or without thinking about God or, or sort of living a life where sort of God is, is, a, is like an extra, he's like accessory, <laughs> right? Or you treat God almost like your cell phone, like I'm going to get things from him. All those different ways put God in a place that he's not meant to be. It's ultimately about saying, I'm going to trust myself and depend on myself. And the results are not good. Look at human history. I don't, I, don't, I mean, just pay attention in a history class one of these days. Right? And over and over, like, if you're asking yourself, why did the same things happen? Same miserable things happen. The same painful things happen. Why do we see, keep falling into some patterns? Why do certain habits continue to manifest themselves in all these different ways? Why? Because we're not trusting God, isn't it? We're trying to sort of put this thing together ourselves. In all of this, we see the results that lead to us being in relationships that are impersonal and distance. We see comfort and satisfaction turn to dissatisfaction. We see danger where there should be safety. We see chaos and meaninglessness instead of purpose. It's why work oftentimes can feel soul-crushing and fruitless, and boring. It's not how things were meant to be like. Not things, how things are supposed to be like. One of the things I want you to understand this morning, I hope that we have, is things don't have to stay that way. It's not where things ultimately will have to end up being. The God who wants to live with us is also the God who set a plan to fix things. God is the God who set a plan to say, hey, you broke this home, you left, you don't trust me anymore. I'm going to make a home again, and this time it's going to stick. That we have, what we'll see in the rest of the series is sort of God doing what I'm going to call stopgap measures, the different temples and tabernacles, all different ways of eventually getting to the point where God can eventually be with us and we can be with God. That's why this Christmas season when we finally read those words, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. I mean, that's a relief. It's a smile on our face. It's God finally making true what we've lost all those many, many, many years ago. Centuries ago, thousands of years ago. When we stopped trusting God and continue to stop trusting God. Jesus is God making a home with us, and this time it will stick. The key, though, for what God is doing, I mean, God has sort of made it easy. He's come to us in Jesus. It's always about a home with him. But the key is the same key, like the first pages of the Bible, the key in all this is trust, isn't it? God has said, I'm going to come as close to you as possible. I'm becoming you. I'm becoming Jesus. Will you trust me? Will you trust me enough to make you a home with me again? For that to be true then for the rest of your life in all the spaces and areas that you're in. For those of you who aren't believers or sort of different spots in your Christian journey, again, I always like to sort of, there's a lot to say about faith and Christianity I always like for like simple ways to boil it down, right? And, 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 and I think they're just helpful, just sort of ways to sort of hang your hat and say, okay, here's one entry point into understanding what this whole thing is about, what the whole spiritual, Christian spiritual life is about. Here's one of those things. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? Do you trust the God that's described here? Do you trust that he's described in this way, not distant and remote, 
not wanting to frustrate you with your life, but wanting to live life with you. And to trust and then be willing to depend your life upon him. Upon him. And for those of you who are believers, I mean, it's that same question, isn't it? How easy it becomes, becomes for us to say, hey, I, I've been with him enough. I think I've got this figured out. Um, I think God over and over is saying, hey, will you continue to depend on me and trust me? In some ways, it can be even harder once you're a Christian. And I say that because, I say that not so much that like we stop believing in God, it's because we have more, we have higher expectations. We know how good it can be and should be. But all the more then we have an opportunity to have God draw closer to us. It's when it's most hard and most tricky and sticky is when God is saying, hey, the relationship I've had with you, it matters even more. I'm still with you. I'm still going to give you all that I'm talking about here. You're still going to know me on a first-name basis. You're going to still know that things are going to be safe and secure, that we're headed in the good and right direction. But you have to trust me. Take my hand and trust me. Take the hand of Jesus and trust him. That's the Christian life right there, isn't it? Do we trust him? Will we follow him? We ask where God lives. Well, the answer is actually pretty simple. It's supposed to be with us. Where God lives is with us. Do we trust him enough to be there with us, to stay with him? Let me pray that we would be people who hear God's call to us and trust him even more. Lord, thank you for this time, the opportunity to be together, Lord, and uh, just recognize, Lord, uh, how amazing it is to believe in a God, Lord, to know that there's a God who establishes a home with us and lives with us. Um, Lord, uh, all the things that are described here, Lord, I mean, who doesn't want those things, to know you on a first-name basis, to have safety and security, to have abundance and satisfaction, to belong? Um, Lord, all those things, Lord, are wonderful and good. But key to this, Lord, is trusting you. I'm thankful, Lord God, that I'm praying to you now and not wondering whether or not you're paying attention to me. Not thinking I need to do a song and dance to get you to notice. You hear this prayer. And so because you hear this prayer, I'm being bold now and ask, Lord, move closer to us, Lord, each person in this room, as close as possible so that we're willing to trust you more. Lord, whatever areas of life that need to be given over to you this morning, Lord, I pray that they would be given over. Um, wherever we are in our spiritual journey, Lord, help us to take that step that makes us be closer to you and trust you, to trust you specifically in Jesus, who is God with us, Lord. You've made it easy in some sense. Uh, we don't have to look far. It's the one who came for us, Jesus, that we trust in. And once we trust him, we trust you. We trust you and we live with you, and everything else comes as a result. I'm thankful, Lord God, that home, that sense of home, it really is just about being with you and living with you. We thank you, Lord God, that you generously give us all of yourself. You've given us all of yourself in Jesus. And so thank you uh, for what we have. I pray that we live in the, in, the, in the result of it. In Jesus' name, amen.